Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're doing our first Eastern Conference team preview. Ben Gulker and I preview the Boston Celtics with James Holis of V-Ball Breakdown and Alex Kungu of Celtics Blog and The Stepian. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. going for uh, i don't know probably like 45 minutes all right give or take yeah yeah all right welcome everybody uh, as you can see we've already gotten started this is the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host lazarus jackson i'm joined today by my usual co-host ben gulker ben how are you doing laz good to talk to you buddy it's been uh, the dog days of summer but uh, I, I have a feeling this is going to be a good one yeah uh so excited to be here this week I'm excited for this one, too. This is the first of our uh, season preview podcast for the other Eastern Conference teams. Um, just the Eastern Conference. I'm not doing 30 teams. That's way too much effort. But uh, our first guest is James Hollis of uh, Twitter and uh, ostensibly B-Ball Breakdown, uh, a.k.a. Snotty Drippin. What's I'm, up, James? It sucks that you said Twitter first. I'm not even like a writer anymore. I'm just some fucking Twitter asshole. Um when was the last time you wrote something? Detroit Bad Boys, my Detroit Sad Boys. Uh, it's it's been a while. <laughs> I I know I'm slacking. Thanks for having me on, fellas. I'll behave. Thank you, thank you for coming on. I appreciate uh, your perspective. And uh, last but certainly not least, we have Alex Kungu from Celtics Blog and uh, newly of the Stepian, back from his vacation, uh, giving us the best on Cam Reddish and everybody. What's up, Alex? Hey, Laz, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to getting on this podcast, talking Celtics. Hey, Alex. Yeah. Alex, you, where'd you go on vacation, bro? Um, Europe. So I, I went through Spain, Italy, and France on a cruise. I saw that. I thought you might have stopped by Jamaica because you were high when you wrote your, your Al Horford come off the bench. Uh, oh. uh, but, you oh. know, that's just oh, – okay. that's just yeah, yeah, that's my bad. That's We're getting ahead of ourselves. Go ahead. Right off the top, right off the top. I mean, okay. No, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about it right off the top. So, Alex, explain to us why sometimes, sometimes, sometimes Al Horford should come off the bench for the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, look, when I wrote that, it was meant to be a discussion piece. Like, the headline was a discussion. Should Al Horford come off the bench? And for whatever reason, it got changed to just should Al Horford come off the bench. But that that's all the topic. What I all I was saying was that during the regular season in very specific matchups against Joel Embiid, your favorite Andre Drummond, Rudy Gobert, why not just bring out Horford off the bench on some of those matchups and just limit the burden? Um, I didn't think it was that crazy of an idea, but I don't think a lot of people got past the headlines and my mentions paid the price for. 72 hours plus so hey i want to i want to raise my hand and say that i made sure i retweeted it like several times just to get your mentions popping because you did for that terrible take even though i read it i read it and i get i get your point 
this is the thing, though. Uh, NBA players that we know are creatures of habit. Uh, and so taking him in and out of the starting lineup just doesn't make any sense. And it's also a respect thing. Like, he's Al Horford. He's your starting, he's your starting center. Even if you want to pull him after three minutes or whatever, that's fine. And then go to a different rotation, that's fine. You just don't bring a $30 million guy off the bench just to save him. Just I'd rather you either sit him for the evening and say, all right, well, this is your rest day, or just start him and pull him early. But, yeah, you don't just bring him off the bench. It just doesn't make sense to me. So, Alex, what's the what's the ideal rotation for the Celtics when Al Horford is starting? The, I, okay, so I would say the starting five is what most people agree with, which is going to be Kyrie, Jalen, Tatum, Hayward, and Horford. Um after that, I mean, you know, Smart and Rosier are, are, are going to get their play time. Baines is going to find his way on the court. Um, during the regular season, Stevens sometimes goes deep. You can get 10 to 11 people. So that could be Marcus Morris, Semi Ojale, Brad Wanamaker. All those guys could be mixed and matched. Um, I would say if it's a playoff series, I would like us to go maybe eight, nine deep and stick to smart rosier beans and then one of morris or ogley off the bench so james yes, same question um he, he, the start lineup is, is is nailed in i think it's pretty locked in it's gonna be horford uh obviously hayward uh, our guys tatum and brown and Kyrie. and um like you said the rotation i mean he nailed it uh and only thing is like when you shorten it down i got a feeling marcus morris might be gone by the trade deadline not because they don't. Oh like yeah, him. he's out of here. Yeah, not because they don't like him, but I mean, obviously, he wants to play a lot. He considers himself a starter quality guy, and last year he looked into a lot of minutes because guys got hurt and they, they needed him to play. It's gonna be different this year, and if he's not getting a lot of minutes, I don't think he's gonna really make a fuss. But I can see him going to front office and saying, "Hey guys, if you're gonna play me 13 minutes tonight, I'd rather go somewhere else." And they could probably get an asset for him. You know, um, I think he's on a contract for. Is he a free agent next summer? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, it's a little different. But so yeah, him and his brother signed to uh to the LeBron uh team, whatever. So they're they're going to the Lakers probably. Much yeah, so uh, if you can get it the second rounder for him and you know move him to a team that's either going to play him or just to the Lakers, whatever. But yeah, he's probably out of here, uh, and he deserves to play. Yeah, he 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 does a he he fills up a specific role. But with all these guys in Boston now, um, he's just not going to have a lot of opportunity to do what he does. So, yeah, I, hey, I, I love Marcus Morris in Boston, but, you know, if he wants to move, which I, I just have a feeling. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he buys in and, and wants to ride this thing and try to win a championship. So we'll see. So, James, what's, what's one word that sums up, like, what Celtics fans are, are thinking and, like, feeling like after this offseason? Because I know you are really plugged into, like, what people are thinking about the Celtics. So, like, what's, what's boiling down I appreciate that, but I'm not really plugged in because I'm really a selfish uh, – and I'm really all about me, so I know what I think. And well, you get so you you get a very good lens into what people are thinking because your mentions are always no. I think I think Boston Celtics fans really are one word. Um, excited is not enough. Uh, expectant. I think the finals it's like a finals or bust mentality. They you know hey when you're one game away without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and your young guys playing like young guys and you still have a chance to go to the finals, you think the next year. And as they rightfully should, they're expected. They they think that, and I I'm going to say this. Maybe this is not every other fan for the Celtics. I think they not only can get to the final. I think they have a chance against Golden State. They've always represented very well against the Warriors, and I think now they actually they don't have the obviously the top shelf talent, right? Golden State is going to have the, the top two players in that series. But I mean, you can say players. I don't know, players three through six, you know, most three through eight are mostly Celtics, and they they're all at a very high level. 
So um, I think Boston has the depth. They have the hunger. Their guys got experience last year. They're talented. They have shooters. They have such a, so much versatility. They and, and I think the Warriors are starting to experience some of that uh, championship fatigue. It's you know it's long runs every year. I think Boston has a legit shot at, at actually winning a championship this year. All right, so Alex, when you're not lighting people's or the Celtics blog comments on fire with your takes, what what's the one word that you've seen that sums up what fans are thinking after the offseason? Okay, I'm I'm gonna actually try to give you guys one word. Um, hey, I gave one word. <laughs> I would say I would say cocky. They're straight up cocky. Like they just think we're gonna be in the championship. It's us versus the Warriors. You're not. You can't tell anyone anything else except for that. Period. So how is that different from any other season? Then I guess is my question. Burn. No, I'm just messing Burn. with you guys. Oh, okay. Because I'm just messing with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, hey, I, I want to say real, real quick. I want to. I want to speak real right, quick so, and say that as a Celtics fan, other Celtics fans are pretty annoying because if Boston's at six, the majority of the fan base thinks we're at eight. If we're at eight, majority of fan base thinks we're at eleven. Like they really do over emphasize and exaggerate everything about Boston. And even as a Celtics fan, it can be really annoying to read sometimes. Okay. Okay. So this is Ben. I'm just going to let that, that stand as it is, because I, I hear that next question for you guys, Alex, you take a first shot at this one. Uh, and then James will hear your follow-up answer. What is the biggest problem with your team right now? Uh, I would say the biggest problem is probably that we're too good for the NBA. <laughs> I just, I don't know there how the rest is. of the league is going to keep up with us. There it is. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough. I think we're going to ruin the game of basketball, honestly, just how good we are. That that that'd be my biggest problem. <laughs> no, but um seriously, I just think I don't think it's I don't think we necessarily have any glaring issues outside of kind of what James hit on before, which is like we do have a lot of depth and there's a lot of people that are going to be expecting bigger roles than we could probably handle. So how that plays out will be interesting throughout the year. But like outside of that, and, until I see them play, I don't really have anything where I could be like, "This is definitely a glaring weakness." That made me, James. What's your take, on Alex? That? that made me proud of you because sometimes I read your, I read what your tweets, and I think that you overthink things about the Celtics. So I, I'm proud of you for that that take, and that's not a bad thing because you're you're a smart guy, and I love your work. I, I got to say that. But sometimes, yeah, you, you get, sometimes like the like the Al Horford takes a little, but it's it's not a bad idea. You think outside the box. Um, for me, I'm with him. I, I just I, I, I trust Brad Stevens with the rotations, and I mean these guys aren't stupid. They see the team around them, so they they, they have to know. I'm not playing 36 minutes tonight. I'm not going to get 20 shots tonight. Everybody has to know that, right? You think so? Now there's a slight chance, uh, you know, maybe guys will be unhappy. Uh, the young guys got let out of the, out of Pandora's box last year. It's really hard to put them back in and say, okay, now you have to play kind of a, you know, a complimentary role and everyone's gonna be complimentary because it's just how we play. So we'll see, man. It'll be interesting. Uh, that the t- it's almost an embarrassment of riches and it's a good problem to have. The problem is the only quote unquote problem would be too much depth and maybe no, not even, the, not even my big man. Cause I, I love Baines behind Al Horford. So uh, yeah, just, just making guys comfortable and, and making sure that everybody gets enough playing time. So, so with all the depth, James, uh, with everything, with you guys going like maybe 11, 12 deep, if you want, if Brad wanted to do something like that, which I don't know if he does or not, uh, are you guys going to actually like push for the one seed during the regular season? Do you think he's just going to like spend a lot of time getting guys integrated? 
and making sure everybody's happy. And then in the playoffs, got everything down and maybe not like go as hard during the regular season? Or do you think they're like, actually their goal is to get home court throughout the entirety of the Eastern Conference? Like they just want... I think that's the goal. But I also think that we've seen from Brad Stevens that he is more processed over results. So he will definitely stick with the rotations. He will try some different combinations that people might not like early. He'll try some things that don't work. And he'll he'll actually try them like several times. So it won't just not work. And then he'll go away from it. He'll try to see, make sure it doesn't work. And, uh, I mean, Isaiah Thomas famously complained about rotations, you know, late in the season. But that's 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 his – that's Brad Stevens' regular season, like his his, his workbench. That's his, his experiment zone. So, um, sure, I think that the one seed is going to be in play, and I think it's going to be in play just because the team is going to beat a lot of bad teams and beat a lot of good teams because they're, they're just talented and deep. But there will be times, I think, where we see rotations that we don't like and the game will be close and we don't like. You'll think, why didn't he just stay with those same five guys? That's just not what he does. He's going to stick with this process, and um, maybe there'll be a bad loss here or there because of it, but it's going to make the team better in the playoffs. So uh, even though he is the Boston Celtics will be gunning for the one seed, they also want to be the best team they possibly can be, and they're going to try to play the right way. So I guess both? Well, so I guess how – so Alex, so when they're going for the one seed, when they're trying to integrate – all these guys and when Brad is making like these, these frustrating rotation choices, like how does, how does that impact like what we see in the playoffs? Like how does, how do you see the kind of the process of him like drawing down the rotations into like an eight man or nine man thing that you can use during the playoffs? If uh, what we're seeing in the regular season is working or isn't working or they're they're he's not throwing necessarily like throwing away games, but like, he's just like tinkering and it's not working. Like what, how I, I'm I'm confused by this because like so the Pistons with Stan Van Gundy are like a very like understanding and we're like a very routine orientated team like you always kind of knew what to expect for for better or for worse for better we knew what to expect for worse the opposition knew what to expect right and so having a guy like Brad Stevens who is inventive like that is just something that we're not necessarily as used to in Detroit so kind of what how can you how can you integrate you know, 12, 13 guys and like play for the one seed, I guess is my question. Yeah. I mean, I think part of his coaching style helps quell the concerns a little bit when it comes to like rotations, because basically the way he treats the regular season is kind of like, it's just a big, a big like data sheet. And he's just trying to plug in different lineups, plug in different sets, see how different things work, see how different guys play with each other. And he always tries to like shake the globe is kind of how he explained it. So sometimes you might see like Yabu Sele starting or there was times at the end of the year we had like Abdel Nader, God rest his soul, and, and Kadeem Allen starting. And it's just like constantly just like looking for different ways and looking for different things that could potentially work for the playoffs. So why the Celtics will be able to kind of like pursue being a one seed while kind of like experimenting and doing all these different things is because kind of like what James said, this team is so deep that us experimenting with things, is not going to be like us playing like borderline G league players. It's going to be guys who like on most teams are starters. So you're always going to have like um, one, I'm sure he's always going to try to have one of like Kyrie mm-hmm. Hayward or Horford on the floor and then you probably mix and match. Like you throw out maybe like a Robert Williams or you throw out um, a Brad Wanamaker or a Mark and what's the Marcus Smart and Sami Ojale. And yeah, like you're trying out new things that maybe you'll never set a lineup in a playoff series, but 
at the end of the day, like when in a regular season, like those are all like mostly like starter level players. So either way, like you're still putting out a good lineup. So I think that's kind of like how he does it. Like he just always wants to mix and match. And he, he, but he's doing it with the purpose to potentially use for um, specific situations. But at the end of the day, like you're still using guys that are like good and are could are, and hey, can if be I trusted. Could, if I could really, uh, if I could say one thing and ask ask a question, uh, it also gives the peripheral guys a lot of confidence. It shows them that he trusts them. And look, even if they don't play great, it just shows them that hey, if I do have to get the playoffs for five minutes, he trusts me and he knows what you know. It, it gives them a little level of confidence. My question for you, Alex, I think if, I, if I'm correct, I saw you were really high on Brad Wanamaker. Why are you so high on Brad Wanamaker? And I'm, I'm really curious. Because... I have also wondered and like did not want to waste time <laughs> talking about Brad Wanamaker, but like you know, like yeah, no, okay, okay. Yeah, give, give us a, give us a quick thirty no, second like, synopsis if you can about why you're so high on Brad Wanamaker. Okay. Yes. Brad Wanamaker, six four, six nine wingspan, can defend three positions. Very good off the pick and roll as a scorer and passer. Can stretch the floor. I think he, I think he could be used all over the court. Brad Stevens loves three guard lineups. He went to it maybe like his third most used lineups throughout the year. I think could be a big part of it. I think he's going to have like a very big role on this team. And because he's kind of a vet and someone that knows the game, he could be someone that kind of surprises us with the same way Daniel Tice did last year. Oh, That's wow. It. I forgot about Tice. He's going to be playing too. This team is so deep, dude. It's dumb. Yeah, like Wanamaker is the kind of guy like with most NBA coaches – I don't think you can say any of those things with with Brad Stevens, though. I, I mean, he's just a, such a fantastic coach. So, so I hear that. So, next question, James, and we're going to give you first shot at this one. Uh, what's the letter grade you would give this team for their off season? Um, I'd give them an A because it, it's funny. Uh, a writer that we that that we all kind of follow and respect made a comment during the season about how uh, Danny Ainge had to make a move this summer because stagnation was death. And I didn't understand why he was coming from because at the time, Gordon Hayward was already out. And then I think Kyrie might have been either uh, already out at the time, too. So I, I was just – there's no stagnation here. Uh, you get your young guys minutes last year. You get two all-stars coming back. Uh, like this this team is – you know, you got the the experience factor for your young guys. They'll be better next season. That's like, you know, you know it, there's no stagnation. Boston is just getting better and deeper. So um, – I give them a. They they got Baines coming back. Baines was a huge part. Like he he did a real good job of bottling up Embiid and and uh, you know if, if that the corner threes he showed the three point shooting real from him that's like that's unreal. So they got him back at a decent price. Bringing back Marcus Smart was paramount. That was a big deal. Um, I'm a I'm right behind Smart than a lot of people, and that's a great contract they got him on. And they got him. They they basically paid him a little more than they offered him last year. So everyone should be happy with that deal. Um, you know, Wanamaker could be something. I'll give him credit for that. And then drafting Robert Williams, which was, you know, he, he was a lottery, type, a lottery type talent that that fell because of maybe attitude and some other stuff. But it, it's it's a, it's a flyer you're willing to take. So I give him a solid A. You got you kept everybody together. Um, you know, they're primed to make a, a run to the finals. You gotta give him a. Alec, what's your take? Yeah. Um. I got to give them a C minus because, you know, if you haven't heard, Kyrie's going to New York. They couldn't get him to resign <laughs> for $80 million less. Horrible, horrible job by the Celtics offseason. Um, couldn't keep their star point guard. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this team at all. They might as well blow it up. I mean, fort- 
unfortunately, you have another $80 million point guard in the roster in Terry Rozier. So you're fine. T-Rose. Hey, I got a question for you guys real quick. I'm going to turn the, the tables on you guys. I'm going to be the questioner. Hey, this is... Yeah, I, I have noticed that you've tried to seize my podcast from me. James. I know, this, man. This I'm, has I'm, not I'm trying to... I'm, I'm podjacking. Hey, this is James Holis uh, of the... All right, no, so seriously, let's let's play a hypothetical. If If, let's say, next year they made some kind of weird CBA deal where you could amnesty a player and it wouldn't cost you anything and then you could re-sign somebody else to fill his place how much would you pay terry rozier would you want to amnesty reggie jackson first of all and how much would you pay reggie terry rozier because look i like i liked reggie jackson i was high on him when he got traded there it hasn't really worked out and it hasn't been great he's not bad but it hasn't really worked out the way people thought it would and i think that you know terry rozier is younger they hasn't had the health issues like he would be great for the pistons He's trying to say that he's better than Reggie Jackson. Because I mean, I, 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 hey, with the defense included and then, like, the way he can hit threes, I would rather have him than Reggie Jackson, but I'm not saying he's better. We haven't seen a healthy Reggie in, like, two years, so I'm not sure. So I'm asking you guys to to to, to talk about that scenario. Ben, you want to take that one first? <laughs> so uh, I'm not – I'm not as high on Reggie Jackson as a lot of Pistons fans are. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't have anything to do with his injuries. Um, gosh, that's a really hard question. If Reggie Jackson is healthy, I think he's a bit better than average as a starting point guard. I think he's probably, I don't know, top six, top seven in the East. But the amount of healthy Reggie Jackson that we have seen is just so little. Um that it doesn't give me any confidence. If we're going to use the amnesty, I, I probably wouldn't use it on Reggie because his contract expires fairly soon. I'd probably use it on somebody else. How much but, longer is uh, his contract and how much is he getting paid? So Reggie makes 17 mil this year and 18 mil next year. And then his contract's done. Okay. Um, yeah. So I would, I would, I was very surprised that Rozier didn't get like the, the Dennis Schroeder from Atlanta. Or not even Atlanta, Orlando. Somebody who desperately needs a point guard, like the fifteen that per. Me. Yeah, yeah. That's next year for Rozier. He's he's restricted next year, so that might still happen. Oh, he's restricted True. next year. Oh, that's right. Rozier, yeah, Rozier's restricted. Oh, next well, year. you could. Hey, so we both sounded dumb saying that we thought he'd get that. My bad. Well, no, you could have even traded him, right? With the expectation that, like, in the future, he's going to get this extension, and like that's why we brought him in or whatever. For sure. But, and no, I think I think Ben's right. I wouldn't amnesty Reggie Jackson just because his contract is up so soon. Um, eight, an eighteen million dollar expiring contract next year is a will be a trade chip for someone if they're interested and the Pistons are terrible and Reggie Jackson's not playing well. They can they can unload that I think um, for like the low low cost of like a couple seconds or whatever. And uh, I am not one hundred percent sold on Terry Rozier because I remember Game Seven. Wow. Are, did, did you watch Game Seven? Did you watch the rest of it? By the way, this is oh my god! Like this is peak Boston like exceptionalism. No, no. We're on your podcast asking you if our if our third best point guard <laughs> you'd rather have him than your starting point guard, <laughs> and trying to have a serious debate with it. Like it's a wild. <laughs> did you not watch him the rest of the season? The, the kid is awesome. He is. In, I'm not saying he's like a top ten point guard, but. The kid got moxie. He's still only, what, 24, 23, 24? So, so I'm going to amnesty the 18th best starting point guard to sign the 
14th best starting point guard to the well, same Well, the money. 14th rising with the bullet is what I'm saying. The kid is – no, I get it, I, and I am biased because, I lo- I mean, I watched a lot of him, and when he took over as a starter, he really he really surprised me by, by you know, the shooting, the uh, the toughness, the, even like, you know, the, he make, he makes plays defensively. I get it. He has a lot of holes and flaws still. He does, he misses a lot of guys in the corner. He misses guys. He misses reads because he's so aggressive offensively. I get it. But, I mean, honestly, I'm asking again, how old is he? 24, 23? 24, right? 24, 23? Yeah, so, like, he's, his best years are still in front of him. Um, and they, I mean, he in the, in the crucible of the playoffs, he had big games. Sure, he had some stinkers. He did. But, again, this is for, his first time as a starter. Like, what, what his first time as a starter, and he, he was in the playoffs, and he's in the finals against LeBron James and, and, score, and, and company. So, um, so yeah, funny I get to it. Me because, so, James is trying, to say, is trying to sign Terry Rozier to, like, an $80 million extension and then trade him. And then Alex is trying to trade him for Markel Fultz and knock down the restricted free agency two years and then sign Fultz yeah, to, like, no an $80 thing. million dollar contract. So, uh, hey, 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 hey. I I was that that Marco Fultz deal was under the assumption that someone would outbid Boston for Rozier and that Fultz could fit into that point. That's all I was fit. trying to say. I just don't think Fultz fits at all in Boston. I think that when they brought him in for his workouts, they saw and heard something from him that made them move away from him, and that's why I think he just doesn't fit in Boston. I mean, it was a work ethic thing, right? Like Tatum works super hard, and Ainge likes guys who work really hard, and Fultz is a natural talent. I heard some things about Fultz even coming in before, you know, and like not even bad things. He's a, he's a good kid and he's talented. But yes, I don't know if it's just work ethic. I look, they had the number one pick and they could have had him, and they didn't for a reason. So like that, I don't know. I I just looking at the way this. Team- I love Fultz, but it it did, it did make me a little bit worried when he was walking to a a a, a practice with a Chick Fil A bag. That kind of. That kind well, of no, that actually that, that elevates him in my eyes. He has good taste. That's good. Um, <laughs> but my, no, my thing with that is like just his the way he plays just doesn't fit. Like he's 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 like a, a poor man's Kyrie as far as he needs the ball in his hands. He needs he needs a handle. He needs to like you know he, he'll pound the life out of the ball. But like that, if Kyrie's elite at it, and we don't know if he is yet, and even if he is going to be elite at it, you don't need two guys to do the same kind of thing. And I know he has more size than Kyrie. Play, he's a little more versatile. We don't know if he can defend yet. We don't know anything about him. So I get it. I think he's going to be fine. I think Philly's a great spot for him. You know, they need another creator off of Ben Simmons. I'm looking at Boston with Tatum and Brown and Smart and Kyrie, and I just – I don't see it. Even if Rozier leaves, I just don't see it. Mark Carroll Fultz, I think it's a bad fit there. So I guess uh, – so, And so even after Kyrie goes to New York – He's still a bad fit. Oh, yeah, because then Marcus bad. Smart needs to get the he, Marcus Smart needs to get the run, baby. <laughs> we need to get Marcus Smart eight threes a game. Yo, you guys did convince okay. me that Marcus Smart was, like, actually a point guard. And, like, I did not see that coming. He's awesome. I love that kid. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, sorry for hijacking your podcast. Let's go. Nah, that's cool. So, Alex, what's, what's the best-case scenario for the Celtics next year? Oh, to beat the Warriors in five. What you mean? Like, this is... This team is going for the finals. Like, this is what it is. Their best-case scenario, anything that includes their best-case scenario is them winning the finals. Like, right. those so, are goals. So what's the worst-case scenario? Um, Us maybe losing in, like, the Eastern Conference finals or the second round to, like, uh, a Kawhi-led Toronto Raptors team. Really? Uh, Toronto goes – yeah, because, I mean, it's like – No, no, All right. 
I don't like who else is. Who, wait, wait. I like, I like how James is questioning that the worst case scenario is the Eastern Conference Finals. That's, no, so the worst case scenario. Because I don't see. Worst case scenario is. Worst case scenario is Jalen Brown actually starts to, to rankle because he's not getting the shine in the minutes he wants. Um, Kyrie, his injuries never fully healed. He, he like, misses more games with a lot of little injuries, and he's never 100%. Gordon Hayward comes back and he's not a hun- he's not even close to being back to who he used to be. Al Horford gets injured and all of a sudden Boston is now an average team and they win like forty seven games and they lose the second round. Like there's there's way worse scenarios. Oh, so you mean you mean doomsday scenario? I was just trying to go like if everyone's healthy, what's the worst nah, case scenario? Worst case but scenario I mean, like, does not preclude health. Like if you guys suffered so many major injuries last year, like you uh, should okay, know yeah. that the worst case scenario, like that's definitely fair. does not include health. That, so like, what that, happens if uh, Tatum like sprains his ankle really badly? Oh, that's all right, because then Jalen Brown gets like you know more shots tonight. Jalen's a beast. I love Jalen. So Tatum can sprain it and miss twenty games. I don't care. The team's going to keep rolling. All right, actually, so no, let's do this. So Alex, you tweeted about this like earlier today. Which one do you love more, Tatum or Brown? Tatum. Tatum like and I mean this is just my personal like I love them more but like I'd be remiss to not say that Jalen Brown was probably just as good as Jason Tatum this year if not better because of what he was asked to do on the defensive end um I think why we all love Tatum so much is because no matter what this game is all about getting buckets and he gets buckets like no one's business so I personally love Tatum because he's also the guy who I really rooted for during the summer when people, you know, were calling him Tobias Harris, um, skinny Paul Millsap, all those things. I was I was rooting for him, so it feels good for him to like take that stuff. So I'm I'm vested in him. So I would say Jason Tatum. James, which one do you love more? So people will find my tweets, so I gotta confess up to it now. I wasn't high on the Tatum pick. I didn't hate it, but I was still lukewarm on it because I thought that he'd be not Tobias Harris, but I didn't I didn't know how he'd translate. I didn't know he'd be this good. But um while I think he has he probably will be the better player long term at him being Tatum, I love Jalen Brown. And almost for the same reason Alex loves Tatum. I defended Jalen Brown when he got drafted. I was I saw through the the rough stuff and I saw the you know the aggressiveness, the the superb athleticism. Like he he thinks he really thinks he's like one of the best players in the league. And so he, he tries things and does things at times that you think that's ridiculous. Why are you doing that? Um, and I think he's going to polish, the, he's going he's to polish those edges down. And he like, he's already become a much better shooter. The three pointer from the corners in the top are, 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 are there. He's just going to keep adding to his game, man. And you know, he's big, he's strong. The last thing I remember was him uh, being posted up by Kevin Love and him stuffing a Kevin Love jump hook. Like, you know, and I remember him blocking a, a Kevin Durant, uh, you know, jumper off of a screen where he just he didn't give up. He was when he blocked the shot, like that kind of player, man. He he's gonna be he's gonna be special. I I, I think well, he has a very good chance of being special. He always has a very good chance of being, uh, you know, really good but not great. We'll see. But he has a lot of tools I like. So while Jail, I I confess that Tatum probably will be the better player long term because he's just so efficient and he does everything you want from a modern player. I personally like Jalen Brown a little better. My recollection of Brown is him being like fully unaware that it was a game seven and missing a bunch of threes, but like that's neither here nor there. Uh, no, I know you're not going to talk about Jalen Brown with your poor man Jalen Brown down in Detroit. Yo, okay. Who, who we will not name. No. Dre, Dre did that. It got real, real fast. Dre did that so we didn't have to go through that. 
<laughs> all I'm going to say about that. So before James starts to derail my podcast again, I got to ask him another question. So where do you come down on the over-under? The over-under uh, at first was 57 and a half. Uh, you know, where do you come down on that? So where is that now? Is it still 57 and a half? I think it's I think it's at fifty eight and a half. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I'm not I'm not putting any money on it, so I actually don't care that much. But I figured um, it's a good question to ask. I'd probably push. Uh because again you can't, you can't win fifty seven and a half games. Uh so I'll have to go I'll take the over. I'll take fifty eight. Why not? Because again, I, I I think that Boston will not break their neck to to win a lot of regular season games. It's the regular it's a regular season laboratory. it's like a laboratory. So they're gonna run their stuff. There's going to be nights without Horford sits. Instead of coming off the bench, he'll just sit like a, a smart coach should do. Um, there'll be nights that Kyrie sits, you know, nights that Kyrie plays 25 minutes because just because, you know. So it's, they're not going to break the next. But f- even so, I think 58 is well within reach. So I'll go over. Alex, same question. Yeah, I mean, I would take the under because, I mean, like, unlike our friends from the North, it's not our main duty to win a lot in the regular season. We do have bigger goals than that, so kind of, kind, kind of the same exact reason James said about not necessarily pushing themselves for that seed. I think that's going to manifest itself, and I do think that at least initially, like there will be an adjustment period just with guys like getting accustomed to each other, Steven trying out different things or whatever. So I think like we might not necessarily start off as fast as maybe like everyone's thinking. But they'll catch their gurus. They'll be all right. They'll finish the year strong. But maybe just like at like 56, 57 wins instead of like 60 or something. Nice. All right. So uh, for those of us who aren't huge Celtics fans, what is the under the radar thing uh, that people who don't watch your team every night might miss? So what what's flying under the radar right now about the Boston Celtics? Alex, go ahead. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't want to waste any more time talking about Brad Wanamaker. So that was, that's, that, that, that has been my go-to. I, w- I won't do that anymore. Um, I'll switch it to the next European, uh, Daniel Tice. He doesn't have the numbers, if, if, if you look on Basketball Reference. Um, there's not a lot of YouTube highlights of him, like, put in 20 and 10 or whatever. But just when you watch him every day, like, you see a guy that really understands how to play the game of basketball on both ends. Like, he knows how to fill the lanes. He knows how to make the right pass. He can defend in space. He can defend the post a little bit. Like, he can be an alley-oop threat. Um, He's long for his size. Like, yeah, he shoots threes now. So he's, like, he's one of those under-the-radar guys that, like, the everyday like fan knows and loves, but like maybe the guy who you know wastes their time watching Detroit basketball and <laughs> might not necessarily see. Alex is trying desperately not to get invited on this podcast again. <laughs> it's working so far. So <laughs> what I've learned is the hotter you are, the more the more shine you get. So I'm trying to I'm trying to help you guys uh, out. I see. I see. James, what's uh, who's your under the radar guy? I really like Celtics? Alex's take because I like earlier I, I literally forgot Daniel Tice was on the team for a second, and I love the guy. Um, I think if he was healthy, we Boston would have been in the finals, and not because he's that great, but he just adds another level of depth and like shot blocking, and he's a he's a, you know smart. Like he said, I think he was a defensive player of the year overseas. Am I right? You are correct. Absolutely. So he can really play. He's he's a good player. Um, I'm gonna go with with Shemi Ojale. Um, I, you know, people saw him play a little bit in the playoffs and, you know, he played a little in, in the regular season. His offense wasn't great at all. Um, but the stroke looks good. He, he has a decent three point stroke. He's strong as an ox. He can defend 
from like two through five. Um, he has really quick feet. Uh, again, you know, the, the, the look, look at those biceps. Like the, he's just thick Jack frame. Um, he is actually the, how dare you? Yeah. He's actually the, how dare you? I mean, what do you want me to say, man? He, he actually has been the spawn of so many of the quote unquote weird Celtics memes that, you know, he's like, he's one of the godfathers of it. And I I know that Brad Stevens really likes him. They gave him a lot, they they gave him a lot of responsibility this summer. And he's, he's, he looks like he might be a little more comfortable offensively. I think he's gonna be one of those players that sure. He's not a star. He's not even the first guy off the bench, but he's going to be an integral part of Boston's rotation. And, um, yeah, I, I think a guy like Shemmy Ojale is definitely going to be one of those underrated players for the Celtics this year. You know what the most frightening thing about Ojale is? What's that? He's training with Drew Hanlon this offseason. Oh, baby. Yeah. Oh, uh, baby. I saw that, and I was I was mildly terrified about that because he is a, he is a huge dude. And guys like guys at that size with who can shoot threes, um, even if they're only catch-and-shoot corner threes, um, that's still like a valuable skill set. And if he adds anything on top of that and he's young enough to add anything on top of that, uh, that's a scary player. That's OG basically. And, you know, it's not like the Celtics need another OG that they just found in like the second round or wherever. So, all right, last question. It's been an exciting time uh, talking about the Celtics. We have to bring it back to Detroit because <laughs> this is in fact the Detroit bad boys podcast. Detroit so, basketball. So, Alex, from from your perch in Boston, what have you been thinking about the Celtic, the uh, Pistons? Oh my God, the the see you guys already messed up my question. The the Pistons last six months, the Blake trade, Stan Van Gundy getting fired, Dwayne Casey being hired, uh, the new front office staff, uh, not really that many roster changes aside from like the Blake Griffin trade. But like, what what have been what's been your your eyes on the Pistons for like the last six months? Oh, yeah, so I mean, I've been relatively optimistic because I was one of those people who liked the Blake Griffin trade just because I really enjoy when people just kind of go for it especially like middle markets like instead of just like letting people like set the rules for for what you're gonna do like I love the outside box thinking of you know what let's just bring a let's just bring a superstar in here and see what happens so I did like the Blake Griffin move I think there's still more to the story of the Griffin and Drummond front court I really appreciated that you guys got a nice upgrade in a coach who could actually coach and Dwayne Casey. Um, I think he's going to bring a lot out of not just the Griffin Drummond pairing, but also like the rest of the depth of the team. Like, I, I don't know. You guys can tell me, but the people that I, like, I've talked to who aren't as plugged in Detroit said that like there was stuff going on between Stanley Johnson and Stan Gundy. I don't know how true that is, but I do think that he'll get along much more with Dwayne Casey. I think Dwayne Casey knows how to coach like deeper teams. He knows how to get teams to buy in. Like you've seen with the with Toronto, he basically made that team like do a complete remake overnight and got them to fifty nine wins or something like that. And I think in Detroit, like that type of thing would be like even if it's not fifty nine wins, like being able to go to like forty eight, forty seven or like trying to get to like that those like six, seven, eight seed, like just be able to do that and get yourself in the playoffs would be huge. Cause I think like you guys pose a lot of problems for teams, especially with an Andre Drummond, um, with the pick and roll guy, um, Reggie Jackson, Blake, if he's fully healthy is a problem still. Um, I like the team. I, I think they have really good winked up. You guys got our, you guys got our mass resident Bruce Brown Jr. You got Kyrie Thomas, another guy who's known as like a 94 feet guy. So it's like you guys have the DNA now to be like a tough 
dark horse team. It's just about putting it together now. All right, now you can come back on the podcast, Alex. That was good. <laughs> so, James, what did, what did you think about, like, the Blake Griffin trade and Dwayne Casey being hired and everything the Pistons have done in, like, the last six um, months? I'm going to go back a little bit further, and I want to say that the uh, I don't think people remember, the Pistons pushed the Cavs harder than almost anyone in the East, like, two years ago in the first round. They got swept, but all the games were, like, within 10 points, and then LeBron James and company went nuts. So uh, they they have the foundation there. Um, I'm still not sure what to think about Drummond. I'm hearing he's going to shoot threes this year, which might be a necessity. Uh, I'm with Alex. Blake Griffin is a huge talent. He's a great talent. I know the last couple of years have been, you know, people have been down on him because he's not a a prototypical, quote-unquote, efficient big man. But the guy is just so talented, and he can score. Um, Let's hope he's healthy this year. He can can remind the world that he's a top 20, top, top 15 type NBA talent. Um, the pieces around him, we're not sure how they're going to fit yet. Uh, I'm with you guys on Reggie Jackson. He's he's a classic pick-and-roll kind of point guard, and it's not a classic pick-and-roll team, so I'm not exactly sure, you know, how he's going to adjust his game. Uh, can they have enough shooting around him? Um, you know, can can guys like Reggie Bullock and, I don't know, I know I don't know how you guys feel about, El- about uh, Ellenson. I don't feel that great about him, but you need shooting from somewhere to open the floor up, and that's the big thing. But uh, like he said, Casey, I think, is a great coach for this team. He's used to taking a throwback player like like DeMar DeRozan and making him and fashioning an offense that makes him fit. Let's see if we can do the same thing with Blake Griffin. I think Blake's a better talent than DeMar DeRozan, obviously. Honestly, so I, my hopes are high. I'm optimistic. I, I love that guy, that kid, Kyrie Thomas. I think he's going to be a he, he can be a, a real NBA player. I'm just let's let's hope that the whole team as a, as a whole is tired of the last couple seasons and they're they're willing to sacrifice and give the things they have to do. And I think they, yeah, they definitely could be a, a quality team in the East. So Ben, how how does it, how do you feel about, you know, two Boston guys who talked for 40 minutes about Boston exceptionalism <laughs> being so complimentary of, of our team? Like I feel warm and fuzzy inside personally. Yeah. I mean, that, that almost makes me want to believe in the Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin front court with a hundred hey, billion dollars or whatever. It is hey, hey, real quick. I want to, one no. more thing on that. I don't believe in that front court and they have to break it up sooner or later. I think I don't, or they have to stagger those guys. It's such a bad fit, I think, but you talent is talent and you make it work. So I hope they make it work. Yeah. I mean, that's largely where I am too. And I'm afraid they're going to choose the wrong guy. Uh, but, but our audience has heard a, t- a ton about me, you know, a ton of me talking about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to have an objective take. I think, you know, as Pistons fans, we get so caught up in the minutia and all of us are fans, right? We're all emotionally invested. So the perspective that these guys bring, you know, from an arch rival, really, I mean, in Boston is in such a, a fantastic position in terms of their talent, in terms of their roster, in terms of their coach, and in, really in terms of future assets as well. So uh yeah, I mean that that brings a little bit of balance to some of the pessimism that I've been been feeling of late about the Pistons. So I'm I'm going to continue asking everybody else in our season previews that question. I'm very curious to see what kind of range of outcomes and and answers we get uh, from that question. But uh, I have already imposed too much upon your. Yo, hey, wait before wait before we quit before we quit. Can I ask I want to ask you guys a quick question. Is that okay? okay? Okay. What's up? I'm not like again. I want to go back. I'm yeah. not sure what to think about Andre Drummond. I love his physical tools, and I love how he rebounds, and I love that he's shown he's shown he's shown a lot of improvement last season. How old is he? How old is he again? He just turned 25. This so week. he's he's he hadn't even his prime yet. That's awesome. Yep. What is exactly his ceiling? Because like he rebounds amazing, 
and you guys tell me better. Has he improved much as a defender, and can he improve more? And and yeah, what is what does he end up to at twenty eight years old? What is Andre Drummond going to be? Ben, you want to take that one first? Yeah. So two questions there, right? So how much did he improve defensively? I think he did make a significant improvement as a team defender last year. I think mm-hmm. that that's a real thing that happened. I'm actually really excited about Dwayne Casey because I think what he did in particular with DeMar DeRozan is, is really impressive. I think, and whether or not that's going to translate to Andre Drummond is a question that's yet to be answered. Um, but I think there's potential there for something interesting. What's he going to look like at 28? My hope is that uh, he doesn't fall in love with the three point shot. If you watch his Instagram, you're going to see some nonsense uh, of him taking like fadeaway threes over Jameer Nelson. I'm not sure that's the route he needs to go. I, I personally, I'd love to see him embrace being a, a Tyson Chandler type of guy where he focuses his his efforts on defensive and rebounding and then just cleaning up uh, cleaning up the garbage on, on offense. Uh, however, I'm not sure that's uh, that's where he wants to go. You know, like I'm not sure where that's his where his individual aspirations are. So uh, th- there might be a little conflict yet to come between him and Casey on that. So we'll see. Um, you know, is he worth the max, max contract in a vacuum? Probably, but I, I share your concern that maybe he and Griffin can't coexist given their their contracts respectively. Um, that ultimately I think is the question for Detroit over the next two seasons. Uh, which guy do you go with? And, and if you decide to somehow go with both, you're going to need a lot of creativity to, to flesh out the rest, rest of the roster. And I think uh, given the Pistons hires this off season, they seem to be aware of that. Uh, um, so yeah, lot, lots of questions yet to be answered. I think about Andre Drummond. So I remain personally pretty bullish on uh the 25 year old Andre Drummond. Uh, like James said, he has not hit his athletic prime yet. Um, that would come in a couple of years now. Uh, I am less worried than others about the, the 200 corner threes he makes before he leaves his workout uh, every summer. Um, I think that is an element of the game that big men in general are just going to have to be adding to their games. We talked, we talked earlier about how Aaron Baines shooting like one corner three a game, like broke Joel and beat in <laughs> half during the playoffs. And so like, if, if a guy can add that element, like why not try and like see what, what he can do. Right. Um, he did make Andre did make nice strides defensively last year. Uh, I worry a little bit that um, forever his offense is going to dictate his yeah. effort on defense. Yeah. Um, yes. When, when things were going really well last year and he was uh, operating as like a distributor and like hitting Avery Bradley on backdoor cuts and everything, he was a much more uh, engaged defender. Um, you see it when, when they're winning, he's a much more engaged defender, like just in general. Um, when, when Blake showed up, he was, he was really engaged for the first couple games, but uh, as his kind of has his field goal attempts went down and as his, uh, as they ceded a lot of control of the offense to Blake, you saw uh, his effort on defense kind of wax and wane. And I think the big thing for Casey will be to get a consistently uh, premier level of defensive effort out of Andre every night. It doesn't have to be an elite level of defensive effort because, you know, no one gives an elite effort every night on defense uh, in the NBA or very, very few guys. I was do. Say, wow. Have you never heard of Marcus Andre. Smart? That's well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I got to keep in context, but, uh, yeah, I think I think Andre can get better. Will he ever be 
I don't know, like the third best center in the league. Probably not, but he, I think he can like solid, solidly be like the fifth best guy in the league, or depending on what you think about like a, a Jaron Jackson or like the kids who just came. I love Dre simply because his, he's such an insane athlete. I remember him picking Dwayne Wade's yes. pocket back to back and like, he's such an, a freak athlete. Like I think he might be one of the most, like top four athletic people in the league, not just big men, people. He's he's so he's yeah. Nuts. So like this gets us off track a little bit, and I don't mean to take us too long. But Stan Van Gundy just seemed, for whatever reason, to refuse to use Andre Drummond to his strengths defensively. And I, I've been like the leader of this train. Andre Drummond needs to trap pick and rolls as much as possible, or at least hedge high, because he has athletic abilities that are pretty close to unmatched. And uh, for whatever reason. Van Gundy just insisted that he not do that. So uh, maybe Casey will tap into that this season. I think that's an Andre thing. I think Andre wants to grab defensive rebounds, and it's hard mm. to do that 30 feet from the basket. But uh, that concludes our final effort by James to take control of my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, James. Do you want to shout out your Twitter handle and you know where the people can find your soon-to-come writing, I hope? Uh, you can find me at Snotty Drippin on Twitter. Homage to the great Scotty Pippen. So just switch some letters around. You got Scotty Snotty Drippin. Um, B-Ball Breakdown, of course, and Real Ball Insiders. I'm also supposed to be right in there, too. I'm so slack. I'm sorry. And I'm also part of the Dunk Tales pod with my man Joe Borelli. What up, Joe? That is a that is a hilarious pod. And uh, everybody who listens to this pod should definitely subscribe to that one. Uh, Thanks, Alex, what? Shout out your Twitter handle. Shout out where the people can find you and everything now that you wear a bunch of different uh, hats. Well, um, Kungu underscore NBA. Uh, that's my Twitter. I write Celtic stuff, so you can find more of my Celtics elitism on the Celtics blog. Um, I also now write for the Stepien, so now I can gush about my love for Zion Williams endlessly on the Stepien. So follow me there as well. All right, Ben, uh, it's been a while since we've had to do this. Uh, what What's your Twitter handle and uh, what are you writing about for the, uh, the offseason? Ooh, uh, what am I writing about? That's a good question, TBD. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at BRGolker as, as hashtag dad life allows. Uh, I'll, I'll be writing for Detroit Bad Boys this season and, and definitely join my good friend Laz on the podcast. I am, as always, Lazarus Jackson uh, at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E on Twitter. On uh, I host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast that you're currently listening to. I write for Detroit Bad Boys. I have a piece about the schedule up uh, this weekend and we'll have some stuff for you guys coming up uh, in the coming up weeks. Uh, the next team I, I can reveal the next team. The next team that we'll be previewing will be the Philadelphia 76ers. So uh, cowards yeah, shoot, a, <laughs> shoot a three you coward. It's like I don't give Celtics Twitter a lot but like that's a good one. You guys you guys earned that one. Um, and uh, as for the Pistons fans still listening to this we will talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.